Hello, this is Leslie Garfield Tenzer, and this is Legal Tenzer, casual conversations on noteworthy legal topics. Jason Zarneski is the Associate Dean of Environmental Law Programs and Strategic Initiatives at the Elizabeth Taub School of Law, which I will add is ranked the number one law school for environmental law. He's also the Gilbert and Sarah Kerlin Distinguished Professor of Environmental Law and the Faculty Director of the Haub Sustainable Business Law Hub. In other words, he's kind of the goat of environmental law. In his most recent work, Professor Zarneski looked at the future of ESG litigation in light of disclosure and greenwashing. And I'm fortunate enough to have him here today to discuss his work and to talk about mandatory and voluntary obligations of businesses to disclose information about their environmental, social, and governance policies. Thanks so much for coming today. Thank you so much, Leslie, for that uh, overly generous uh, introduction. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the, the goat of anything. Um, I know Tom Brady, Bill Russell, LeBron James, and uh, Michael Jordan maybe are in that group, but, but certainly not me. Well, in my eyes, you are. So there you go. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I want to begin by talking about something that I don't quite understand, and that sure. is greenwashing. Like, what is greenwashing? Sure. I think there's some uh, sort of a simple way to explain it and uh, a more complicated way. The simple way is to just think about yourself as a, as a consumer. You go to the grocery store uh, you or you might go to the clothing store and you see all these words, you know, sustainable, green, all natural. And the question is, you know, do they mean anything really? Or are they just confusing you? It's some sort of greenwashing. And so the more complicated way to explain it is sort of greenwashing concerns, you know, in that context arise when there are environmental or sustainable marketing claims and they run afoul of federal or state consumer protection statutes. In other words, uh, they're somehow misleading or misrepresenting the truth to the average consumer. The second more complicated way is not when you're thinking about a consumer, but when you're thinking about in the investor space. Uh, when investors are concerned about the sustainable portfolios of companies, or now you hear the term ESG, environmental, social, and governance, are investors relying on information relating to sustainability that may or may not be uh, inaccurate. So, so greenwashing is a situation where you know, simply where businesses are, are are saying they're sustainable or green or environmentally friendly, and perhaps they they might not not be. And so, you know, eco labeling, you know, using these green labels, you know, is a part of this greenwashing concern. So it's a scam to induce the buyer. Would you say that? Oh, and I teach sales, so it's breach of warranty. But I mean, <laughs> it, it. I mean, if a eco label or a claim is uh, inaccurate, perhaps it's not part of a third party uh, certification, if it's not verified in any way, uh, then certainly it could be used uh, to deceive a, a customer uh, mm -hmm. in violation of federal uh, FTC law, Federal Trade Commission, or more likely in violation of state consumer protection statutes. Right. So I, I, I know you've created an interesting chart that's actually helped me work through my understanding of this. And kind of in the center top of the chart is this idea of greenwashing litigation. Sure. So my question is, who would bring a greenwashing lawsuit? In other words, would I sue? I'm not likely alone to sue, you know, let's say I'm making this up Banana Republic because 
their pants are not, you know, made of sustainable fabric. So, so who would do that? Yeah. So there are two ways you might think about these environmental campaigns that can lead to greenwashing. The most mm -hmm. common is in the eco-labeling context. A clothing manufacturer might say that their, their clothing is, is sustainable or carbon neutral. And what you often find, if, if that's not the case, uh, you'll find lawyers who will bring a class action lawsuit uh, in state or federal court against the uh, manufacturer for uh, engaging in unfair or deceptive trade practices. So under federal law, you have the Federal Trade Commission Act, the FTCA, and more likely uh, you'll have uh, greenwashing uh, litigation occur uh, under state law, sort of the mini FTC acts. Very commonly, these cases are brought in California and New York State, uh, which have the most progressive case law in terms of, of bringing these these types of, of cases. H&M's being, being sued in New York uh, right now for sustainable, arguing that their the clothing is as sustainable as, as they say. So that's, that's the most common example. You as an individual aren't going to bring a claim, but you could be part of a class action bringing a claim. The more, I think, the, the interesting thing now is as uh, firms are engaged in more ESG disclosure, so both voluntary and mandatory, as a result of SEC rules and as a result of what's going on in the EU, as well as bringing voluntary disclosures uh, under things like, there's all sorts of acronyms like GRI and SASB and things like that. But the point is that, that now companies are reporting on their carbon footprint uh, they're reporting on if they have a goal to be carbon neutral. They're reporting maybe what the gender diversity is on their corporate board. And they'll put these things in a in a sustainability report or an ESG report or a DEI report. And investors are relying on that information to decide whether to invest in a company. And even you as a consumer might come across information in a sustainability report and uh, decide whether you want to purchase that product. And so there are not only opportunities to engage in litigation in this consumer protection law space, but investors can also bring greenwashing litigation in the securities law uh, space under, under the, the uh, Securities Exchange Act. So what's going on then is, is there you have both investors and consumers who have the ability to bring greenwashing claims against companies, potentially through sort of two regulatory mechanisms, consumer protection statutes and securities law. Okay, so are the, I have a bunch of questions, but the first is, sure. is this greenwashing, are greenwashing litigation cases successful in helping improve our environment or I guess that's the question, right? Are, are they, are, what's the goal here? I mean, I'm sure one goal is to punish people for deceptive, say, we'll call it advertising with H&M, but are, are these successful in reshaping climate change? Uh, that's a great question. So whenever you have, you know, disclosure, just disclosure requirements, voluntary or mandatory, or whenever companies are making a claim, I think it has the benefit of helping the environment to the extent that consumers or investors are demanding more sustainable products or more sustainable companies. That would be the positive answer, yes. I think the pushback to that answer would be that 
this is a, in some ways a failure of environmental law. That one of the reasons you see environmental law moving into this corporate law space, the maybe the emergence of food law or other areas of law is because we haven't seen a lot of progressive forward-thinking environmental law in the country, we're trying to get at environmental problems through other areas of law. So for example, you could say, my product's sustainable because I make it through this manufacturing process and not the bad manufacturing process. Right. Like the question for environmental law is like, well, why do we even allow the bad manufacturing process? As opposed to just making sure you disclose that you... So there is this argument that why are we putting so much burden on consumers to make environmentally friendly choice? It's asking a lot of a consumer when they go to the mall or the grocery store to understand the environmental footprint of every product they're buying. And when we're talking about ESG and sustainability, it's not only environmental health, it's also social welfare, it's also economic justice. Um, how are you supposed to know now the environmental law or the environmental footprint, but also the human rights issues that may exist with your problems. So I, the hope is that these disclosure me mechanisms are, are improvement, uh, but there's reason to be skeptical. I think in the investor space is, is quite interesting because you know large scale investors like BlackRock, pension funds, they have lots of resources to learn about companies as a whole. And so if they're demanding that companies engage in, in better behavior, uh, those companies are gonna are likely to react because they don't want to see their stock prices go down because no one will invest in them. But that is, see, that's the thing. The issue I have with this, and I say this as a non-environmental lawyer, right? I, I don't study environmental law, but I, I live in our environment and have great concern about it. And I know the government is kind of not meeting a lot of the needs that are necessary right now. And so I hear from you, and 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 last week I spoke with Sarah Light and Michael um, Vanderberg about the same similar issue, that we're looking to private action. But I'm not sure there are enough private actors to support the kind of say greenwashing litigation or that kind of thing, you know, or or even private actors that care enough about how BlackRock is investing their money. Like that's my concern. I don't know. Do you have a sense of that? Well, so I think, you know, uh, Professors Light and Vandenberg, right? They're very interested in private environmental governance. So they're interested right. in companies engaging in voluntary agreements, voluntary certifications to help uh, fill some of this gap and you know, using the, the economic power of those companies to facilitate environmental change. A, an example Professor Vandenberg uh, often uses is um, how the, the cost of LED light bulbs went way down once Walmart uh, decided to uh, sell them and reduce the purchase price. I think what's what's happening, however, is a movement into public law at, in terms of this eco-labeling and ESG disclosure. So the SEC, uh, we're waiting for new rules to be promulgated that will require uh, large publicly traded companies to release their carbon footprint uh, information. The EU, the European Union, has already passed the Corporate uh, Reporting Sustainability Directive, which is going to require companies, the largest companies, even if they're not publicly traded, in order to, to report their uh, carbon footprints as, as well. 
Um, so what we're doing is we're transitioning from some of this private environmental governance is to really public environmental governance in what has traditionally been the, the corporate law space or pro consumer protection space. So that is a difference. Uh, we're not just relying on companies to do the right thing. Uh, we're mandating that disclosure. Now, then the question become, is disclosure sufficient? It's not changing behavior per se. It's just saying to companies that you have to disclose how you're doing. So I think to take that full circle, then in an ideal world, mm -hmm. once we knew what companies were doing and what their foot carbon footprint was and how their manufacturing process works, how their supply chains work, then public law could say, oh, we have this new information wait, these companies over here have really high carbon footprints who engage in this manufacturing process. We should regulate that through public law. That I'm skeptical will actually happen, at least in the American context. Um, I'm less skeptical in the European context. Well, listen, our world is global, so I'll take what I can get. But, you know, so your article is called Disclosure, Greenwashing, and the Future of ESG Litigation, right? So you explained the disclosure requirements and the greenwashing, where do we think litig ESG litigation is going? I think that's a great question. So I think uh, uh, I would say at least three things. So one, I think once the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, promulgates and releases their requirements for uh, companies to release their carbon footprints, I think that will immediately be challenged in court. The arguments will be that it is compelled commercial speech in violation of the First Amendment. There'll be arguments that it violates the major questions doctrine in light of uh, West Virginia versus EPA. And there'll be arguments that not all ESG sustainability factors are related to the material financial interests of the company. And therefore, the rule is outside the scope of the statute. So that's one thing that's going to happen. I think the second thing uh, that is going to happen is as we have seen a, a mushrooming effect of every company coming out with sustainability reports all the time, making environmental claims all the time in their investment reports, consumers are relying on that information, those sustainability reports. They're not only relying on the labels that are on the package. You're going to see class action lawsuits uh, under state law saying- mm -hmm. You're saying you're carbon neutral. You're saying you have a net zero, but there's no hope that you can achieve that. And so there's going to be a lawsuit. And then I think the third thing, uh, which I think is an open question, is whether investors who have a sort of a narrow way to uh, bring lawsuits against uh, companies or lawsuits where one company sues another company under securities law, if they're going to try to use investment and security documents and inaccuracies in those documents to actually pursue litigation under state consumer protection laws. It's unclear whether that will be accurate, but I think those are the three things that you're going to see. And I think the summary here is, as we've seen this um, sort of conflation and this intersection between consumer protection and security, we really need to have the FTC and the SEC work more closely together uh, to have sort of a more cohesive enforcement and body of law so this this makes sense what likelihood of that um that's a good question i, I think the the fdc has produced green guides uh which suggest you know that companies need to have verification and accuracy in terms of any claim uh that they make 
And I think investors who may not have remedies under security law are going to pursue. I think I think it's likely that they're going to pursue remedies under state consumer protection statutes. I think some states like California will be receptive to that. It will then be interesting to see whether the federal courts uh, strike that down. And uh, California, in in some recent cases, have some would argue gotten out over their skis a little bit mm. in terms of of state law violating federal law and in, in them trying to be uh, more progressive in their in their uh, corporate law. So, in your assessment, taking a step back. Which, I'll call them party, is in a better position, do you think, or is more likely, do you think, to really help ch curb climate change, private sector or public sector? I mean, in reality, not which one has the, you know, the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, so in not reality, the answer is <laughs> right. Congress. The answer is Congress. Right, 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 right. But um, that's not reality. But, but is it reality? So I think if we're talking about major companies having to disclose what they're doing, the answer probably comes from the European Union. Uh, most of the major in, uh, American firms uh, have footprints in the European Union. Uh, as I mentioned, the EU has passed a number of directives which require a disclosure of non-financial aspects of a firm related to ESG, DEI, sustainability. Any American company that has a footprint in the United States is going to be compelled to engage in that reporting. Um, and as I said, in the EU, it not only applies to publicly traded companies, but large businesses. So even law firms themselves are subject mm. to these disclosure requirements in the European Union. One of the things that I've been surprised in talking to individuals at, at major companies in the US, they're, they're just not willing to accept that they are going to be subject to this sort of EU regulation hoping that their compliance with SEC rules will be sufficient. And I don't think mm -hmm. that will be the case. And there is some evidence to suggest that when one major economic entity like the EU uh, engaged in a regulatory mechanisms, it can really have uh, worldwide effects. The best example is the EU chemicals directive, which fundamentally mm -hmm. altered how we take account of chemical manufacturing. And that fundamentally altered chemical manufacturing in China. And wow. in Asia, because unless they conformed with with the EU law, they were unable to to sell chemicals uh, within the European Union. So that would be that would be one answer. Uh, my second answer would be super large institutional investors uh, like BlackRock. Uh, you have these large investment arms which you know own a significant percentage of of major companies around the world. To the extent that they demand this of the companies they invest in. Uh, that will make a huge difference. Although they've been a bit schizophrenic on how progressive they want to be in the sustainability space. All you have to do is compare the the 2020 versus 2022 BlackRock letter, uh, one where they're saying sustainability really matters, but in the other, they're saying, but we're not going to divest of all fossil fuels. Wait, wait, wait which came first? <laughs> uh, the, the, the more progressive statement came first. Came first, right. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I should say that we haven't really talked about it, but there's a whole other line of ESG litigation going on right now uh, between individuals who want investment funds like pension funds to no longer invest in uh, things like fossil fuels. Uh, and then other parties, uh, you can imagine recent retirees that just care about short-term value 
who have sued pension funds like state pension funds saying, no, you can't divest from fossil fuels because I want more money and I want it now. And in the short term, that might be a better investment. Right. Yeah, that's problematic, too. But all right. So this so your article is Disclosure, Greenwashing and the Future of ESG Litigation. It's really uh, interesting and I've learned a lot from it. So we will make it available when it becomes available. We'll make it available on our liner notes. And I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Thank you so much. Uh, it'll be out uh, in a few months in the Washington Lee Law Review. And, and I, oh. I say that it's being uh, co-authored with uh, Barbara Ballin, who is an LLM graduate of the Elizabeth Howe School of Law, a current SJD student and our Sustainable Business Law Hub fellow. Perfect. Terrific. And congrats on the publication. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or a professor or attorney with whom you'd like me to speak, send us an email at legaltensor at westacademic.com and send us any suggestions you may have. We love getting feedback. Have a great day. This podcast was created in collaboration with West Academic. Additional episodes can be found on the West Academic Study Aids Collection. Students may already have access through their school subscription and can check with their law school library for access. For a limited time, Legal Tensor listeners can save 15% on titles on the West Academic Store with the promo code TENSOR15 at checkout.